Hey folks, it's your boy Noir. Thank you so much for listening to Cigars and Crypto. In this episode, I had a chance to speak with Nico Santini. We talked about how he got into crypto, about his Mount Gox story, institutional investment, and his view on it after his chats with institutional investors, and the future of blockchain technology. Shout out to my show sponsors. Thank you so much, guys. I love Noir Coin. I hope that you guys are checking them out at noirofficial.org. So let's pay a couple of bills and we'll jump right into the episode. Take care. You're listening to the only place on the internet that offers the perfect blend of high quality premium cigars and cryptocurrency news and commentary. Welcome to Cigars and Crypto. Now, here's your host, Invest Noir. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Cigars and Crypto. It's your boy, Noir, and I'm happy to have my man, Nico Santini, with me today. Nico, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing, Noir? I can't complain, sir. Another day, another dollar. I'm quite happy today. Had a great cigar earlier today, the uh, Aquitaine by Aroma Craft, and I uh, had a couple of fingers of Buchanan's uh, Scotch whiskey, so I'm feeling quite mellow right now, and I'm <laughs> ready to have a great discussion. What about you? Oh, that you know that sounds really good. The other day, uh, I was traveling. I tend to have a couple cigars along the way. I don't have the whiskey though. Tend to, uh, <laughs> yeah, tend to put you a little bit over the edge. But I love those cigars. That's for sure. That sounds good, man. I, b- believe it or not, I'm just drinking the whiskey that I have left. I uh, just got back from Puerto Rico, and I was reminded of how much uh, I really love rum and how I love pairing rum with cigars. So I'm going to be giving away the whiskey that I have and sharing it with everyone that I can to get rid of it so that I can fill up uh, my uh, liquor cabinet with rum. So, Oh, that's great. Yeah, man. That's how we go. So, hey, look, man, let's jump right in. How'd you get into crypto? Yeah, you know, um, I was thinking about this the other day because, uh, you know, back in 2013, um, kind of when, you know, Bitcoin was just getting started and there were quite a few, um, you know, good articles out there from the Wall Street Journal. I think there were a couple of magazine articles. And, you know, I think uh, the way the crypto bug kind of hit me is that, you know, I stumbled across a couple of those. And I, I, I recall one in particular, uh, I believe it was called the, the Millionaires. And I think it was a Wall Street Journal article. And the reason why it captured my attention is because, you know, it talked about these 20-somethings that had uh, really not had a lot of uh, technical background, but they, they engaged themselves in this thing called Bitcoin, which um, it was a decentralized system of creating money out of thin air, basically, is the way that I uh, interpreted it. And, you know, that, that article really captured my attention because, you know, you don't hear very often that, you know, younger people get into these type of things and they were actually making some pretty good money. Um, and I think at the time, Bitcoin is probably trading uh, probably in the low 100 kind of level. And uh, they had owned it, I think, early early on in like uh, $10, 5 or $10. But, you know, what really drove my, my, my thirst for learning about Bitcoin and really engaging me in 2013 was that there was, um, I remember being in an airport because I travel a lot and I picked up a magazine and there was an article um, that had a couple of venture capital firms talking about how there were something like 10,000 or 15,000 um, actual, actual computer science developers and programmers 
who are engaging in Bitcoin. And this was back in 2013. And, you know, I, I, that article just kind of sunk in um, during my flight. And I said, wow, if this many people are out there um, thinking about uh, this thing called Bitcoin, there's got to be something to it. Or at the very least, uh, it warranted that I kind of, uh, you know, dug a little bit deeper into it. And, you know, really, that's what I did. I think um, at the time, as I mentioned, Bitcoin was like at 110 or 150. Uh, and I said, OK, it's not doesn't seem like it's an expensive asset. And, you know, maybe I could buy a little bit. And the funny thing about Bitcoin is that, especially back then, is that it got out of hand pretty quick. Right. You know, it's uh, we all saw Bitcoin uh, go from the hundreds to 150, 200, et cetera, and then quickly spike up to about 500. Um, I think it was at the end of uh, 2013. But what I ended up doing, which I think a lot of, you know, early Bitcoiners did was um, looked up how to buy it. And, you know, I stumbled across this uh, exchange that, uh, you know, called Mount Gox. Ooh. And I, I, yeah, I know, I know, I know it was painful. Um, but here's what happened. It was, you know, I thought to myself, okay, this thing has already gone up about 50% in, in about three days since I got back from my, uh, my travels. And I said, okay, let me, let me put some money in it. And the funny thing is that um, at the time, my Fidelity account wouldn't allow me to wire directly. They wanted me to go down to the you know, local office and actually physically be there um, signing the paper with some IDs because you, know, you have to transfer the money out to Japan and, or no, Hong Kong at the time. And uh, I remember just sitting in the Fidelity office and saying, you know, I'm going to wire $1,000 to this, this firm, which seems like there's you know, pretty good, it seems like it's pretty good exchange, good velocity coming around. And uh, I ended up wiring it. And the funny thing is I went back, you know, went back home and I'm like, okay, I wonder how long this is going to take. And, you know, wires sometimes take, uh, you know, a week to two weeks if you go overseas. And, and what happened is that the money settled into the account and quickly thereafter, Bitcoin ran from, I think, 150 to 500 at the end of, um, I think the end of October, uh, and then I think it hit like 580 or something. I remember that being kind of a mark at the end of the year. And I said to myself, you know, I'm a value guy because I am an institutional investor, uh, an investor at heart. And I said, you know, God, if an asset goes from 100 to three, four, 500, well, let me just sit tight. And, you know, I did sit tight and January rolled around, you know, Bitcoin kind of went up to, I think, like a thousand at that time. Mm. And I said, OK, that mm. was a, that was a good move. Let me uh, let me wait for the drawback or drawdown. And then February hit and that's when Mount, Buck, Mount Gox went bust. Ooh. And, I, and I, I, I basically, I remember hearing about that and this was at work and I saw the article go by my Bloomberg screen. And I thought to myself, wow, that was really idiotic. Why would I ever wire cash to a foreign bank to give it to a Mount Gox exchange? You know, I kind of deserve that. But I think it just, you know, it tells you that, you know, what happens with these kind of assets that kind of run up and they kind of capture your greed that you, you say to yourself, okay, well, you know, maybe I can be part of that. And, you know, that's what Bitcoin is. You know, it's unfortunately we're at the, you know, greed certainly took, took a hold of a lot of people back then. And that wasn't even the early part of it. But, you know, what happened is that, you know, the bankruptcy taught me a lesson. It said, you know, you need to be patient when you invest, you need to diversify and you need to really think long and hard before you put money to work. And, 
you know, at that point, I, I basically sat out for a couple of years because I thought I learned my lesson and said, you know, I'm never going to do it again. Um, and that that trickled into about 2016 when, uh, you know, I started to notice that, you know, Bitcoin is getting a little bit more news and I started to dabble in it again. So, you know, pretty long story in terms of how I started, but I think it kind of parallels a lot of the stories that I've been hearing out there. Agreed. You know, I feel bad for folks who come on to my show and tell me about how enthusiastic they were about getting into crypto and their first major experience uh, with cryptocurrency was Mt. Gox. It sucks, um, but failure is the best teacher. And based on what you said about the lessons that you learned from that experience, I'm assuming that it made you a better trader and or investor. Would that be a fair? Oh, assessment? absolutely. Absolutely. I, what, what it taught me and I learned that lesson very, very hard is that, you know, it's, uh, it's when you, when you invest money and, you know, I'm a, again, I'm an institutional investor and I invest money in my 401k and everything else. And I should have known better that, you know, maybe doing a little bit more in-depth research about the exchange in particular, um, because we all know that, you know, Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency is certainly, you know, it has legs and I, I could talk about that a little more, but it really, um, you know, had me step back. And that's when I started just reading a lot more about Bitcoin and, you know, really doing some uh, soul searching as to, you know, what is, what is it really? Um, where, what is it doing for the world? What is it doing for finance? What, what could it do for individuals out there? And, you know, what you quickly understand is that and and i tell people this all the time is that when you go down that rabbit hole with with bitcoin coin and i've heard it so many times is that there are people who become maximalists and you know i i i you know i talk to a lot of bitcoin maximalists and i think that if they're very headstrong there's nothing like bitcoin there's no other alternative um the way i look at it is you know, I'm really not a maximalist, but I'm more of a realist. Um, and what I mean by that is that I became very hardened to the asset itself and that um, there are quite a few people out there that say, and these are the maximalists, and I'm not uh, throwing, uh, you know, water on their, uh, their fire here, but um, a lot of them are still thinking that, you know, Bitcoin could potentially go, you know, up to 10,000 or, 10, or uh, X or 1,000X. And I'm not sure that's going to be the case i'm more of a realist about it again is that the way i look at it is if it does become its own asset class and it is gathering steam here and i've been talking to some institutional investors around the edges they're certainly looking at it um not really putting a lot of money into it unfortunately but if there is a wave that comes in here and carries um you know the price to a higher level it could easily get up to that you know, what I would call that, that market capitalization of gold, you know, you're talking seven, $8 trillion. And if you're thinking of that, those type of numbers over an extended period of time, 10 to 20 years, if you're a realist, um, you're not talking about a thousand times your money, you're talking maybe 10 to 30 times your money over an extended period of time. And I think you have to have that kind of scope uh, when you think about Bitcoin, because it is a volatile asset, you could lose everything, who knows what could happen over the horizon. But there is solidity around the way the technology works and how it's a driving force out there in a particular to be a store of value over an extended period of time. Yeah. So you have a very interesting perspective because 
the majority, if not all of the people that I speak to are retail investors. None of them are accredited uh, and or institutional investors. So you uh, run in circles that the majority of us wish we could be a part of, you know. And so to hear that take, that belief that, you know, it's not necessarily something that's their cup of tea right now, but they are closely watching it um, is very interesting. Because a lot of people say that, but they don't say it from a position of certainty. They say it because they assume it or they believe it. Whereas you talk to people in your field who do this, who have told you this. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So the way that I have approached it, and so I manage money for large institutions, and it's not that we're bringing any product or I'm talking to them about getting into Bitcoin. What it is, is that when I talk around the edges to other, let's call them investment firms out in the marketplace or institutional, and these are some hedge funds, et cetera, a lot of them are certainly engaging in conversations around the edges about what is this technology, what it can do, and um, and trying to figure out the math in terms of um, kind of, you know, according to the supply schedule, how much demand needs to take place to come up with a value. And everyone is struggling with that, right? I mean, it's a nascent asset. It's something that, you know, we've never encountered before. Um, and what I'm seeing is that people are thinking about it. They might be having, which is interesting, is internal conversations, maybe among one or two people, and they're not broadly broadcasting it. But they are having conversations, and I'm not saying, and I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon, where there's going to be multiple billions of dollars coming out of institutional coffers going into Bitcoin or VC uh, technology, blockchain-ish type of technology. But I think that you know, over an extended period of time, one of the things that, are, that is capturing people's attentions, and this is the, the world that I work in, is you know, when you create a uh, diversified portfolio. I mean, this is this is simple uh, modern portfolio theory that to create a diversified portfolio, you know, you have a set of assets that have returns, you have a set of assets that have risks or volatility or downside, and then you have a, a set of assets that correlate to one another or don't correlate. Mm-hmm. And what I find very, very intriguing is that and we know we're working with a very short uh, data set here, but what I find intriguing is that you do have the numbers are coming in from a correlation standpoint. And I'm talking about Bitcoin or Bitcoin like assets that are very uh, either negatively correlated to some degree or marginally correlated to other assets. And I'm talking about the S and P NASDAQ, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that becomes very, very interesting from an institutional investor standpoint because we're all about building diversified portfolios. And again, modern portfolio theory says that you should, at the very least, look at an asset that can give you um, a better uh, correlation or a lower downside risk by adding the asset to a portfolio. And I think the struggle that a lot of institutional investors are having is that the time period is so, sh- is so short. You know, even though 2009 is when Bitcoin came out um, and it's only been in existence for, you know, wet finger of the wind, 10 years, you know, unfortunately, institutional investors need to see a larger market cap of Bitcoin before we could start to develop that correlation string and return and, and volatility numbers, because then it will become more realistic. It'll become more palatable. 
Um, and up until that point, I think that, again, I think there are just going to be conversations around the edges. There are going to be, there's going to be engagement at conferences, maybe. And that's where I've met some really interesting people who, frankly, um, haven't really been outspoken about it, but you're starting to hear it. I don't know if you, I'm going to shout out to some folks out at Real Vision uh, uh, out of New York who, I don't know if you've heard about them, but um, they do some great interviews with some institutional investors, hedge funds, etc., where they've been talking about Bitcoin and it's becoming to get, uh, there's starting to become a little bit, uh, there's more traction out there. Um, so it's it's developing into an interesting market, but nonetheless, it is volatile. Uh, you know, pace yourself, even as an individual, pace yourself, because there's certainly going to be upside, downside, sideways, and everything in between. So um, it's it's uh, it's a good asset class just to to do some more homework on, so to speak. Yeah, that sounds good, man. So you, my friend, are definitely knowledgeable about finance and investment. So let me ask you one last question. Where do you see cryptocurrency in the next three to five years? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And I, I think if you ask that to, you know, 10 people, I think that every single person is going to say something different from <laughs> uh, going, to, going, going to zero to, you know, shooting to the moon and, and, and being a million dollars of Bitcoin. Right. Um, I think what's going to happen here is that, and, and again, I'm a realist, I'm not a maximalist, but I'm a realist, is that I firmly believe that the technology, um, the, the whole kind of ethos of the, of the blockchain, uh, Bitcoin um, technology is going to start to become a little bit more um, uh, what I would call user friendly from a technology standpoint, because let's face it, Noir, what happens is that you know, the on-ramps to Bitcoin and transferring it. I know that you and I who've been, again, I've been in it since 2013 um, and others, you know, we've been acclimated to it. And I think the technology needs to really step up and really uh, needs to allow, you know, every age bracket, you know, the people in their 20s, 30s, 50s, 60s to be able to engage in Bitcoin in a very easy manner. And unfortunately, I think that it's going to take a little bit of time for that technology to catch up um, before there's real true engagement. And I think that uh, as soon as the technology catches up and also the narrative from institutional investors becomes to become, becomes more distributed to the world, so to speak, you know, individuals like myself, we start to talk a little bit more freely. We become a little bit more comfortable about it. I think that you might get a very good, good leg up here um, over the next, let's call it three to five years. And then, you know, outside of 10 years, as I mentioned, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bitcoin up 10, 20 X uh, in 10 to 20 years easily. Um, again, it's about engagement. It's about educating the masses, uh, which uh, I think we, we, uh, I sent you a note a couple days ago about, <laughs> you know, about educating my family and my friends and, you know how that works, right? That's right, an uphill right. battle in and of itself. <laughs> um, but, but there's certainly a lot more upside. I, I do firmly believe that, and it's just a matter of time. And just like every other technology, you just need to be comfortable with it. You need to understand it, and you, know, you need to know and understand how it's going to impact your lives. And we didn't go down that path on this conversation, but there are, there are a lot of other elements that um, lead to that engagement that could really be beneficial for folks from a financial yeah. and also from a... Um, just inner workings of the societal connections we have, so to speak. 
We'll definitely have that opportunity to do this again, because I'm hoping that you'll accept my invitation to come back and talk to me. I am very curious um, to chat with you. You have a very unique point of view. Um, It's very different from the folks that I've had on my show in the past. And uh, it's very refreshing uh, to hear a, a, a real financial professional give their opinion on what Bitcoin is, what crypto is, and where it's going to go. So, Nico, thank you so much for joining me this evening, sir. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And uh, let's definitely continue the conversation because uh, this is not, the year's not out of the the, uh, balloon yet. There's no doubt. (laughs) No doubt at all, my friend. Have a good night. All right. You too. Take care.